I want to invite you to open your Bibles to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. In our time together this morning, we're going to be looking at a very familiar verse. It's Galatians 2 verse 20. Um, Most of you know this verse by heart. Um, All of you perhaps have at least heard this verse quoted. You know, there's been a a lot of talk in recent years about the subject of identity, mainly about how people choose to identify themselves. An evil ideology is sort of being imposed on Western society that insists that we recognize and celebrate people who really choose to identify themselves other than who they actually are. Whether it's a female who identifies as a male or a male who identifies as female or even a human who identifies as an animal. They're called Therians, by the way, and it is a real deal. But we're told that we need to recognize them as they recognize themselves. It used to be, I remember, it used to be that people who identified as something other than who they are were called delusional. That was the name that we would ascribe to it. Today, those people are called brave. Rachel Dolazar was a rising star in the black community. She was the president of the Spokane, Washington chapter of the NAACP. And she was an instructor of African studies at Eastern Washington University. However, in 2016, Rachel Dolazar was forced to resign her positions. You say, why? Because she was living with a false identity. Uh, She claimed to be black, but she was actually white and was born to two white parents. You see, your identity is not what you want it to be. It is who you actually are as defined by God. And as we will see from Galatians 2.20... If you are a believer in Jesus Christ, that is the most significant thing about you. That is your identity. If you're looking at Galatians 2.20, notice what Paul says there. I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. Paul says, this is who I am. Now, he could have said that his identity was his ethnicity as a Jew, because Paul certainly was a Jew. He could have said that his Identity was his education as a Pharisee because certainly he had gone through training as a Pharisee. He could have said his identity was his citizenship as a Roman. Or he could have even said his identity is as an apostle of Jesus Christ. And while these things certainly describe something significant about Paul, 
Not one of them defined Paul. Now, in this particular letter written to the Galatians, Paul has been declaring that a right standing before God is not obtained by keeping the law. It's not obtained by becoming Jewish through the rite of circumcision. Paul says it is by faith in Jesus Christ alone. And he says that to proclaim otherwise is to proclaim a different gospel. Therefore, Paul persists that when people trust in Jesus, what is true of him becomes true of them. In other words, Jesus becomes their identity. Now, in Galatians 2.20, Paul reveals four foundational reasons why a believer's identity is in Christ. So what are they? Let's just dive right in. First, your identity is Christ because you died with him. You died with him. Paul begins by looking back to Jesus' crucifixion and declares, I have been crucified with Christ. In other words, Paul is saying, when Jesus was crucified, I was crucified with him. And in a very real sense, if you are a believer this morning, when Jesus died on the cross, you were there. You were joined with him in his death. How? Well, when Jesus was crucified, he died in your place. He suffered as your substitute. And at that moment, as he hung on the cross, every sin you ever committed and every sin you will ever commit was placed on him. And Jesus paid your sin's awful penalty. So when you came to saving faith in Christ, you became identified with him in his death. So in a very real sense, the old you died. The you that hated God, the you who lived for self, the you who trusted in your own efforts, the you who resisted God, the you who went your own way and did your own thing, that you died. So like Paul, you have been crucified with Christ. Now the question is, what specifically did you die to when you became identified with Jesus in his crucifixion? Well, in the context of Galatians 2.20, you died to the law. In Galatians chapter 2, Paul is arguing that attempting to keep the law as a means of being made right before God is pointless. Why? Because the law is what actually condemned us as lawbreakers. Look at what Paul said one verse earlier in verse 19. He says, For through the law I died to the law, so that I might live to God. You see, in other words, under the law, you were guilty. You could not keep the law. Well, maybe you could keep some of the law, but you couldn't keep even some of the law perfectly. This made you a lawbreaker. 
And James 2.10 says, whoever keeps the whole law but fails in one point has become accountable for all of it. And what does the law require for those who violate it? We've seen this morning that it's death, right? So before you were saved, you were under the just condemnation of God's righteous wrath for all eternity. However, when Jesus was crucified, something happened for you that changed that forever. Jesus took your sin, the sin that made you guilty as a lawbreaker upon himself. And when he did that, he was judged in your place. And you know what? He was found guilty. The one who knew no sin was found guilty because of your sin. So under the law, he died the death that you deserved. And his death satisfied the Father's wrath against your sin. So the moment you were saved, you died to the law. Now what this means practically is that the law no longer condemns you. You see, Jesus' death has satisfied the law's righteous demands. So in this way, Jesus' death under the law was your death to the law. But that's not all that you died to. You not only died to the law, but in Christ you also died to sin. Romans 6 verse 6 says that we know that our old self was crucified with him. Why? Paul says, in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. You see, through Jesus' death on the cross, the power that sin had over your life was shattered. It was obliterated. That's why Paul says in Romans 6.11, you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Christ Jesus. The word consider means to regard something as a reality. And the reality that you are to consider is that you really are dead to sin. Because the old you died to sin, sin no longer has a hold on you. It is no longer a master that you have to respond to. That's why in verse 12, Paul says, let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. You see, because you were crucified with Christ, you died to sin and are now free from its reign over your life. Does it mean that you will never sin? No. Tell you what it does mean is that you don't have to sin. In Christ, you died to the law and you died to sin, but that's not all. In Christ, you also died to the world. Listen to Galatians 6, verse 14, or you can just turn over there a couple pages. Paul says this, but God forbid that I should boast except, what are you going to boast in, Paul? Except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ. Christ, notice this phrase, by whom the world has been crucified to me and I to 
the world. Now, what does Paul mean by the term world? Well, the Bible uses the term world in in different ways depending on the context. Sometimes the word world refers to the planet on which we live. Sometimes it refers to the people who live on this planet. But here and in many other places, the Bible refers to the world as as a philosophy, as an ideology, as, as an organized system of values and beliefs. So the the world system, in this sense, is an organized ideology that's headed by Satan that excludes God and leaves him out of everything. You see, before you were saved, you were actually in bondage to this world system, and you left God out of absolutely everything. God didn't matter to you. You only lived for yourself, and you didn't consider God in your decisions. And so what characterized your life what was what characterizes the world. The sinful desires of the flesh. The sinful desires of the eyes and the sinful pride of life. Those things that characterize the world characterized you. However, through Jesus death you died to this world system. So now God is at the center of everything that you do. You see, while you may still do what the world does, we all do what the world does. We work in its jobs, we shop in its stores, we drive its cars, we live in its houses. While we still may do what the world does, here's the deal. We don't do what the world does in the way the world does it. Because The world does what it does in such a way that leaves God out. But God is at the center of everything that you do. Why? Because in Christ, you were crucified to this world system. And it no longer has a grip on your life. So you died to the law. You died to sin. You died to the world. Fourthly, in Christ, you also died to the flesh. He died to the flesh. Now in Galatians 5.24, Paul declares, those who are Christ's, that would be you and me, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. So a question is, just like the world, what is the flesh? What's Paul talking about? The flesh doesn't refer to your body. It's more than that. It is our yet-to-be-glorified humanness. The flesh is that which is still part of us that yearns for its passions or desires to be gratified. The flesh is that part of us that wars against the spirit and strives for preeminence in our lives. Galatians 5.17, Paul says, For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So that f- the flesh is that part of us that wants to exalt ourselves and wants to love ourselves and coddle ourselves and serve ourselves. As long as we are alive physically, the flesh remains. The question is, if that is so then in what way did you and I crucify 
the flesh. It's in this sense. That when you were saved, you were set free from the power that the flesh had over your life. This is why, as a believer, your desires and affections are now different. It's why what you delight in is different. You see, the inclinations of the flesh no longer are dominant in your life. Because your spiritual DNA in Christ enables you to say no to the desires of the flesh. 2 Peter 1.4 says that you become a partaker of the divine nature, having escaped from the corruption that is in the world because of sinful desire. So your identity is Jesus Christ. Why? It is because you died with him. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. Second, if you're a believer, your identity is Christ because you are alive in him. You are alive in him. You see, while the old you died and died with Christ, there is a new you that is alive in him. Look at Galatians 2:20 again. Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. Notice this phrase, it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. Paul sounds schizophrenic, doesn't he? So what is it, Paul? Are you alive or are you dead? And Paul would say to you, well, yes. The old me died, but at the same time, there is a new me that is alive. But the source of this new life is not me. The source of this life is Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.17 declares that if anyone is in Christ, he is a what? New creation, right? In other words, the moment someone is born again, they are regenerated by the Spirit, Spirit of God and granted new life, spiritual life. So the old you died, but a new you is alive in Christ. This new you looks away from trusting in self and instead trusts in Christ. The new you no longer lives in bondage to sin, but lives under the rule of Christ. The new you no longer pursues what the flesh wants, but rather pursues what Christ wants. You see, this new you has a new purpose and a new agenda because Christ's life is now your life. John 20, verse 31 says that by believing in Christ, you were given life in his name. What kind of life? Jesus said in John eleven twenty five, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me, listen to this, though he may die, he shall live. See, the moment that you believed in the Son of God, you had life. So when your body dies physically, you are going to continue to live eternally through the resurrection life that you already have in Christ. You see, before you were saved, Ephesians 2 Verses 1 through 3 says that you had no spiritual life. Paul says you were dead in the trespasses and sins in once you walked. Not only did you not have spiritual life, 
But in your spiritually dead condition, you actually, Paul says, followed Satan. He says you followed the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience. And because of of who you were following, you lived in the passions of your flesh. Paul says we all once lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. And what was the result of all of this? This made you a child of wrath. Paul says we were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. Now that's pretty hopeless, right? That's our condition. Even if you were someone who was saved, who was regenerated, who was born again at age seven, that is who you were. However, by his grace, God did something radical that changed all of that forever. By an act of his unfathomable grace, God made you spiritually alive with Christ. In verses 4 and 5 in Ephesians 2, Paul says, But God, and then he goes on and describes God being rich in mercy because of the great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, here's what God did, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you've been saved. So the reason that you are now able to respond to God and live for him and follow him is because you have been made alive in Christ. This is why Paul said in Philippians 1.21, For to me, to live is Christ. So you have been enabled by the power of Christ to do absolutely everything that God calls you to do. You can now seek him and obey him and submit to him and follow him and serve him and worship him. Why? Because it is no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. His purpose is now my purpose. His priorities are now my priorities. That's why Paul says in Colossians 3, you have died And your life is hidden with Christ in God. That's the reason you can seek the things that are above. You've been raised with Christ. You see, in Christ you have an entirely new kind of life. A life that is now hidden with Christ in God. And this, folks, changes everything. Changes everything. Your identity is Christ because you died with him and you are alive in him. Third. If you're a follower of Christ, your identity is Christ because you walk in him. You walk in him. Paul in Galatians 2.20 says, The life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now this describes how the new me, this new me that is now alive in Jesus Christ, practically lives for him. It's by faith in The Son of God. Some translations say by faith of the Son of God. I I really think in is a better translation. Your identity is essential to how you live out your life practically by faith. Now, what are some of the things that are involved in living by faith in the Son of God? Let me just suggest a few. This is not exhaustive, but it's just a couple. First, living 
by faith in the Son of God involves living in light of the gospel. In other words, it means living as one who has been completely forgiven by God through Christ. You know, some Christians live as though they are still under condemnation. They act as if God really doesn't like them all that much. But living by faith in the Son of God means living with the confidence that what Jesus accomplished on the cross was enough. There's nothing left for me to do. There's no hoops to jump through. There's there's nothing I can do to try to earn God's favor. My salvation has been secured. My future is certain. This is living in light of the gospel. Second, living by faith in the Son of God also involves trusting God to finish what he started. Trusting him to finish what he started in you. In other words, it's living with the confidence that God is, in fact, actively at work conforming me to the image of his Son. It is saying with Paul in Philippians 1.6 that I'm sure of this, that he who began a good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Jesus Christ. So walking by faith means that I trust God with everything that I experience, even things that are difficult and painful and hard, because I understand they are all part of God's grand purpose of making me like his son. Third, Living by faith in the Son of God also involves relying on Christ when you encounter opposition. How many of you know that like a roaring lion, Satan is prowling about seeking to destroy your faith, seeking whom he will devour? However, because you are in Christ, his life, Christ's life is your life and his power is your power. And in him, you have all the protection that you need to stand against the opposition of the enemy. And a key piece of that protection is faith. Ephesians 6 verse 16 says, In all circumstances, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one. So Paul uses this picture of of a, a soldier's shield to illustrate how faith is essential to living in a fallen world. The shield is to be taken up in all circumstances so that we can stand victorious against the enemy's opposition. So yes, there's going to be opposition. You're hated by the world. You're pursued by an enemy. But 1 John 5, 4 says that living by faith overcomes the world. Now, we may lose a few battles along the way, but because Jesus has won the war, we win. End of story. So your identity is Christ because you died with him and because you are alive in him and because you walk in him. Fourth, your identity is in Christ because you were purchased by him. Notice Paul says, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This this is fantastic. I mean, if you're not a shouting person, this will make you want to shout. The sovereign king of the universe, the eternal God who spoke everything into existence, actually 
gave himself for you. Why? Why did he do that? Because the God who holds all things together, because the all-knowing God who himself is the beginning and the end of all things, actually and personally loves you. It's not an emotional feeling. It's a commitment that God has made. This reality is so incredible that it is impossible to comprehend. The Apostle John exclaimed this great love in 1 John 3, 1, when he said this. And he didn't even have words to describe it, so he just said, See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called the children of God? And that is what we are. I mean, he, he couldn't even describe it. What would cause the second person of the Godhead to leave the splendor of heaven, humble himself, and enter this world as a man? What would cause him to be willing to be despised, to be rejected, to be blasphemed, and to be murdered? It was his love for you. You see, the most significant way that God is glorified is by redeeming sinful people who wanted nothing to do with him like you and me. In order for you to be rescued from the eternal punishment that you deserved in hell, the Son of God willingly gave himself for you. Think about this. The eternal Son of God humbled himself and was conceived in a womb. He was birthed as a baby. He grew as a man in order to be crucified as your Savior. Out of love for you, Jesus was willing to go to the cross to satisfy the Father's righteous wrath toward your sin. He was willing to take upon himself every bad thought, every twisted motive, every perverse act that you ever committed and to be punished in full for it. Has there ever been in all creation a greater expression of love? You see, God loved you before you could love him. He loved you like this before you were ever born. He loved you while you were still his enemy. So what this means is that God's love for you is unconditional. It's not based on anything that you can do. It's not based on who you are. It is based on who he is. There's absolutely nothing that can ever separate you from God's love. So nothing that you can do will ever cause God to love you less than he does right now. And there is nothing you can do that would cause God to love you more than he does right now. And since Jesus gave himself for you, it means you no longer belong to yourself. He purchased you through his death. Paul says, 1 Corinthians 6, 19 and 20, that you are not your own. You were bought with a price. And there is a response from us because of that. He says, now glorify God in your body.
You see, God didn't give his son for you so that you could waste your life by living for yourself. He gave his son for you so that you would be his, belonging to him. Paul said, I have been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. So if you've been born again this this morning, this is your identity. This is your identity. You died with Christ. You are alive with Christ. You walk in Christ and you have been purchased by Christ. Well, maybe you've never been born again. You assume that by trying to be the best person you can be and coming to church and taking communion and uh, even getting baptized and giving to the, to the church and being kind to others that God will see everything that you've done and he will accept you. But one day you're going to stand before God. And the issue will not be, friend, it will not be how moral you were, how good you were, how well-intentioned you were. It will be, are you in Christ? Is he your identity? You see, this is first base. This is first base. In 1924, in the World Series game between the New York Giants and the Washington Senators, the game, or the series, was tied after six games, three to three. During the seventh game, the score at the bottom of the ninth inning was tied three to three. Washington was the home team, and so they were up. After the first two batters made outs, a player named Leon Goose Goslin came to the plate. And with the count 2-2 on Goslin, he slammed the fifth pitch into left center field. It looked like it was going out, but it hit just a few inches below the top of the wall and fell back into the field to play. Goslin rounded the bases, and the third base coach waved him home. Go home, trying to get him to execute an inside-the-park home run. The shortstop cut off the throw and fired the ball home, just as Goslin was sliding into the plate. The umpire, after the dust settled, didn't make a call. After consulting with the other umpires, other empires, he finally called out, the batter is out. Everyone was stunned. The Washington manager, his whole team, and several fans rushed onto the field protesting the call. Finally, the umpire quieted the crowd, and then he announced this. He said, ladies and gentlemen, the batter is out. Not because he beat the ball home, but because he failed to touch first base. If you haven't been saved, you haven't touched first base, 
then you are a child of wrath who is still dead in your sins. One day you are going to die and wake up in a fiery hell and will ultimately stand before God at the great white throne judgment and the very God that you rejected in life will be your judge. He will call you out and you will be cast into the lake of fire and spend the rest of eternity experiencing the unending eternal wrath of God in outer darkness and fire along with Satan and his angels. But this doesn't have to be your story. All of that can change this morning because you can become identified with Jesus Christ and experience in him eternal life. Will you respond to Christ's love and embrace him by faith today? Cry out to God to save you. Be come crucified with Christ. Die to the old you and experience the eternal life of Christ as a new creation today. Father, thank you for this very simple passage that amplifies who we are in Christ. It gives us such hope, such confidence. It gives us really an excitement about following you and living for you, knowing what you accomplished for us was enough. I pray that will be true of every person who leaves this building today. For those who don't know you, would they come to a God of mercy and experience the life-giving power of regeneration today? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.